Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. If you are new to the show, welcome. We're yeah. so happy to have you. If you are an old faithful listener, thanks for coming back. Yes. Our faithful listeners know that before we jump into our questions, we usually talk about something on our minds or on our hearts or <laughs> could be profound. It could be entirely mundane. Uh, but what is on our minds and hearts right now is that we just recently watched the final episode of season three of The Chosen. Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting. We've been talking about The Chosen quite a bit lately in the podcast. Last episode, a couple episodes ago, we were talking about it. Uh, anyway, I don't want to give it away. Uh, I mean, I, this is not a spoiler, because if you're familiar with the gospel, you know the story of Jesus walking on the water and Peter coming out of the boat. But anybody, anybody who has seen the final episode of season three, you know what I'm talking about, that I mean, it was powerful. The way this story was told, the way it unfolded, and the, the, the kind of, yeah, I don't want to get into the details. I don't want to give it away. But the, I just, we've talked before about how one of the real creative things about the Chosen series is, is the way they kind of do backstories, which are, it's not biblical, it's not like written into the scriptures that this happened, but I just, I, I've really appreciated the imaginative backstories that have been written in, and the imaginative backstory behind Peter's walking on the water in the final episode of season three of The Chosen made the experience of watching that very familiar Bible story it took on a whole new meaning to me, and I, Wendy, you knew it. I, you were holding my hand. I was trembling. Mm. I was so yeah. moved by it, and I want to, I want to watch it again and take it to prayer. There's so much to break open in it. What what was what was some of your feeling about that love? Yeah, I, we were all just so I, we watched it together with our children, and um, just. Uh, the sense of, um, I, I mentioned before, being touched by these personal, personal encounters that we see between Jesus and different characters in this show. And in this case, the, the depth of love um, that Peter experienced from the Lord, Man. we all need it so much. So powerful. Yeah. So that... That might be all I want to say. It was really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Don't just skip to the final episode because yeah. a lot of the backstory is in previous episodes. That's right. Take, be patient and watch, watch the whole season. Mm -hmm. um, and if you haven't even watched season one, be patient. Go back to season one and watch it unfold. It's, it's worth it. And I'll just throw out a little disclaimer one more time. I've said it before. The writers are, are Protestants, and every once in a while, there's little Protestant theology in there. Understandable, they're Protestants who wrote it. But don't let that throw you off. It, it, man, I am so I can deal with any little strange little Protestantism that gets thrown in there on occasion <laughs> for, the, 
to get to this point and the beauty of this one episode, oh my gosh, mm. so powerful. Yeah. In the words of the prophet Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that, at least for now. All right, then. And speaking of things you have to say, do you have anything to share with us about uh, what's going on with the TOB Institute right now? Yes, we have some in-person courses that I want our listeners to be aware of. You know, when you come to an in-person course, I may not be taking the course, but I will stop by. And if you see me, I want you to tell me I listen to your podcast. Please do that. Yes. <laughs> but this first in-person course, you won't be stopping by at. Because it's, it's in, in Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Okay, sorry. I didn't know you were gonna talk about Milwaukee. I don't live near I don't live close enough to that course. Yes. So sorry. when you come to Pennsylvania, ninety-five <laughs> percent of our courses are taught at a beautiful retreat center here in Pennsylvania called Black Rock Retreat Center. You can look it up online if you want to see how lovely this place is. Our offices as an institute are also there. Uh what was I saying? Uh, in-person course in oh, Milwaukee. Yeah. Uh, most often at BlackRock. But this one in May, TOB1 in May, is going to be offered in Milwaukee. We take the TOB1 on the road, I think every other year, just to get out and about with this course. So Milwaukee in May. Then we have the Marian Mystery course, Theology of the Body and the Marian Mystery, the third week of June. It's my favorite course to teach. Love it, love it, love it. No prerequisite is required. You don't have to have taken any other courses, although it's recommended that you have taken the TOB one, but you can jump in cold to the Mary course in June. Love that course. Uh, and then TOB one again in July in Pennsylvania. And then Theology of the Body and Spiritual Direction. That will be at the end of July into the first week of August here in Pennsylvania. So I know people plan ahead for these courses. Uh, check out the links in the show notes. We would love, love to have you. And if you come to the course in Milwaukee, you can tell Christopher that you're a podcast That's listener because right. I won't be there. That's right. All right. <laughs> so you ready for a question from a patron? Let's do it. First question is from a patron named Christopher. Hello, Christopher. Like your name. It's a good one. Yeah. I, he says... I met Dr. West after recording an episode on the Redeemed Vision podcast with Freedom Coaching. Thank you for sharing your experience on that episode about the importance of being raw, naked, and uncensored when it comes to our prayer life. Mm -hmm. I also picked up more pointers on the recent episode on your TOB Institute YouTube channel with Steve Picorni. Prior to meeting you, I was discerning whether to take the certification at the TOB Institute. Thank you for giving me the encouragement and extra push to get started. I really wish I could have learned about this great work from St. John Paul II during my younger years. It certainly would have saved me a lot of heartache and heartbreak, and not only myself, but all the women I desired intimacy with. My question is two parts. First, have Catholic parishes, schools, and seminaries over the past few decades been teaching Theology of the Body as part of the regular religious studies curriculum? If not, why not? And number two, how can we further promote and teach Theology of the Body today and beyond to the younger generation so they'll be able to truly see themselves and everyone as a gift and as a unique and unrepeatable human being? 
Thank you, Christopher. Bless you, brother. Uh, I'm, I'm so grateful for the graces in your life that have led you to the place of encountering JP2's teaching. I know that regret that you feel. I felt it myself. I discovered JP2's teaching in my early to mid-20s, and I had already caused myself and others a lot of damage. And I thought, why? I went to Catholic schools my whole life. Why didn't anyone ever tell me this? And I knew then I would spend the rest of my life studying this and sharing it with others. Uh, to answer your question specifically, are seminaries, parishes, dioceses, religious ed programs in the church teaching this regularly as a part of the curriculum? By and large, sadly, no. That's the reality. Now, there are, there are places it's being taught, but those are the exception. In 1999, when, when George Weigel's biography of JP2 came out, and that was, what, 24 years ago, he said something to the effect that only a microscopic percentage of the world's Catholics know that this theology of the body exists. And that was after, I think, I think it was 20 pages that he devoted in the biography to explaining the theology of the body, calling it a theological time bomb set to go off with dramatic consequences, perhaps in the 21st century, uh, calling it uh, something that will, will infuse and help the church to understand and develop every major theme of the creed, right? And th this is George Weigel on the global stage of theologians was really one of the first, again, on that global stage of theologians to say, hey, everybody, pay attention. This is critically important. And I was waving my flag at the time as, as high and, and mightily as I could, saying to, to everyone in my circle of influence in the late 90s, which was not very big at the time, hey, everybody, pay attention, pay attention. This is critical. This is so important. Mm. When Weigel came out with his biography, I, I finally had something to back up what I had already been saying for a number of years. This is the theological answer to the crisis of our times. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean it's some quick fix. Uh, nothing's a quick fix. The, 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 always the answer to the crisis is to go more deeply into the Paschal mystery. And people are not jumping up and down to be crucified with Jesus. That's why there's a resistance here. I remember when I started my mission... Um, 1997, I had graduated from the John Paul II Institute in Washington, D.C., and my mentor, uh, Monsignor Lorenzo Albacete, who was a personal friend of John Paul II's and a professor of mine, he saw that I had a calling, he, he saw my kind of youthful zeal, and he wanted to warn me. And he said, Christopher, Christopher if you are faithful to what John Paul II has given us, you will experience violent attack against your work. And he said, that attack will come from the most unlikely sources, at least so you think unlikely. It will come from those who you think would stand with you. It will come from within the church, the very place that you thought people would receive what you have to say, they will reject you. 
And man, has that played itself out. Um, I have experienced that. I've also experienced, and this is primarily among the laity, a great openness, a great willingness, a great desire to learn more. And the common response I've had over the last 30 years of sharing this, uh, the, the most common response I've had is just the response I had. Why haven't I heard this before? If I had heard this earlier, and this was your response also, Christopher, if I had heard this earlier, I would have saved myself and so many other people so much pain. That's the number one response I get. So there is cause for hope, but oh my, there is still a lot of work that needs to be done. In the late 90s, when Weigel said only a microscopic percentage of the world's Catholics knows this exists, okay, that's that's jumped up a few notches uh, because there are many people doing this work um, now. There is just a handful in the late 90s that were doing this work. More and more people over the last 20 plus years have gotten involved in studying and sharing and proclaiming. There are, there are many, many ministries thanks be to God, devoted to spreading this teaching. But still, it's kind of a drop in the bucket. There is so much more to be done. To your second question, what can we do to, to help get this out there? Christopher, here is the number one thing you can do. Take it up yourself. Take it up more deeply yourself. Study it more deeply yourself. Study it, pray it. Pray it, study it. Pray it, study it, study it, pray it. Pray it, study it, study it, pray it, and then do that some more. Make it your life's mission to take this message in and then to dish it out, to share it, to get it out. And I'm not asking you to do anything more than what Christ himself asks of his people, because what John Paul II has given us in his theology of the body is not just a teaching on sex and marriage, it is a teaching on what it means to be human according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel message put in a language and in a, in a, a way of presenting that is critical for this moment in history. I'll say it until I'm blue in the face. I'll say it until I die. Theology of the body is for everybody. Theology of the body is not just a teaching on sex and marriage. Theology of the body is the very logic of Christianity, because that logic, the Logos, the Word of God, took flesh, took on a body to reveal through the body the meaning and the logic behind everything. This is our faith. If you believe in Christmas, if you believe in the Incarnation, you believe in the theology of the human body. I'm reminded of what they say when an airplane is going down. Right? First put your own oxygen mask on, then help others. Christopher, put that oxygen mask on and keep it on and keep breathing in this beautiful, pure oxygen, and then help others. This is how we do it. And share with your pastor, share with your parish, share with anyone who will listen this theology of the body. And I'm going to invite you right now. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can do. Send people, and we'll put this website in the show notes, but it's also very easy to remember. Send people to tobforfree.com. T-O-B-F-O-R-free.com. And that will 
you'll, it'll go to a little website and you can sign up and we will send you and anybody else who goes there, share this link is what I'm saying, Christopher. Share this link with your pastor. Share this link with your friends. Get this out on social media, TOB for free, and we will send people three free sessions to the Theology of the Body Level 1 course that will give them a nice little taste, uh, a nice little hors d'oeuvre of the main course, or to prepare them for the main course. If they like the hors d'oeuvre, they will love the main course. So send people there. That would be one way of just getting the message out there. And I mean, there are all other kinds of ways. You can do a, a book study, take up Theology of the Body for Beginners as a, a book study with friends, with parish members, with your pastor. Just start sharing this message. Send people to the YouTube channel. There are all kinds of ways. Share this podcast. All kinds of ways to, yes. to help get the message out. I think that since that we can make a difference by um, being willing to say something. Yes, is amen. It's so important. And if you happen to be in a diocese where TOB is being taught in seminaries, tell your bishop, write your bishop a letter. I'm so glad this is yeah. here. This is so important. This has impacted my life. If you, If your child goes to a Catholic school, that is one of the TOB campuses that's being promoted by an, a ministry called Brewer Woods. Be supportive of that. Or if that's nearby you, you don't even have kids there. How can I help? Ask how you can help and be supportive. Because those who are making the decisions, the bishops, the pastors, the principals, they need encouragement. Yes, they do. They yes, need they do. people to tell them this is so good because they will hear vocally from those who are opposed to it. Yes, they And will. that will discourage them. Yep. They need to be encouraged. So it's what you can do. If someone asks you to share a little testimony, pray about it. Maybe you're called to do that. Maybe you're called to talk to a principal or to seminarians or to parents or people preparing for baptism. Who knows all the different ways that you could make a difference if you have a disposition to say, yes, I'm on board. Lord, I say yes. Mm, mm. And that yes is what is required of us, right? One woman's yes to allowing God to take flesh changed the whole universe. Your yes, Christopher. And look at your name, by the way, Christopher, Christ bearer, right? Your yes can and will bear Christ to others. I'll share one more suggestion, and then we'll go on to our next question. We at the Theology of the Body Institute uh, can offer bulk pricings on our books and resources. I know people who just have cases of Theology of the Body for Beginners or good news about sex and marriage in the trunk of their car, and when they run into somebody who's in need, they say, let me run out to, your, to my car, I got a gift for you, and they just hand it out to people. Uh, there are countless ways we can we can do that, and we are here as an institute to help. That's why we exist, to help you get this message out to the world. So please take advantage of the resources and programs we offer. And thank you, Christopher, by the way, for being a patron. Uh, that helps us to get this message out. And please take advantage of all of the benefits on the patron membership site to immerse yourself in this teaching yourself. Our next question, then, is from a listener named Pip. Hello, Pip. My husband and I practiced NFP for the first nine years of our marriage. Following a miscarriage less than a year after our fourth child was born, 
my husband decided to have a vasectomy. I was and am against it due to Catholic teaching, and I tried to explain why it was wrong. He even spoke to a priest, but he wasn't convinced and went ahead with the vasectomy, which is a great source of pain for me. What should I do now? Am I expected to continue practicing NFP myself, abstaining during fertile days, etc.? And if so, why? Bless you, dear Pip. Bless you. Bless you. I know you have suffered, and I know that this has brought a wedge into your marriage, and that is painful. And I, I want just to begin by reverencing that suffering, which is very, very real. Lord, I ask that you would please, please send your Holy Spirit who comes to us through the sacramental sign of oil, a healing oil. I ask you, Lord, to anoint Pip's wounds with your healing oil, to let her know your presence in her heart in these tender, wounded, suffering places. Pip, I want to to clarify a few things, uh, both for you and for our, our general listeners, that in this situation where you made your position, your faith in the church's teaching very clear, and your husband went against your will and got a vasectomy, it is only your husband who is guilty of the sin of contraception here through, the, through this form of surgical sterilization, which adds another layer of sin, which is called bodily mutilation, right? This is both the sin of contraception, which is the choice to render the sexual act sterile, but with surgical, steriliz surgical sterilization, there's the further sin involved of mutilating the body. So, yes, this is very serious, uh, but only your husband is guilty here. You raise an interesting question. Do you need still to live as if your husband were fertile and practice natural family planning? It's an interesting question. And in all the years of doing this work, I don't think I've ever heard that question, at least not posed that way. I've certainly heard the question, you know, what should I do if my husband got a vasectomy against my will? But I've never heard it posed, should I, as the wife, still be saying to my husband, hey, we're still going to abstain when I'm fertile. And I think, I th yeah, I'm thinking about it for the first time, so keep that in mind. But I think a case could be made that you're right, that, that yeah, yeah, that maybe you should be living that way. Uh, maybe you should be saying to your husband, hey, you did this against my will, I'm still desiring to live according to the church's teaching, and therefore that's how I'm going to live. I'm going to live as if we were still fertile, and we're going to abstain during my fertile time. Now, of course, you have the knowledge that if you didn't abstain, um, a pregnancy would not result. So I guess the question becomes, are you 
obligated, and I'm, I'm speaking here of you as the wife, are you obligated to abstain during the fertile time? I don't think we could say you are obligated to do so. But I think we can say it is fitting that you would do so. And, and that's an important distinction. I wouldn't want to say you are morally obligated to abstain during the fertile time, <clears throat> but I would say it is fitting that you would, and I think there would be special graces that you were given if you took that approach. I'd also want to say this, Pip, that the suffering you have endured in your husband going against your will, opening that suffering to the presence of the Holy Spirit, letting the Holy Spirit into that suffering and letting him guide you in and through that suffering, offering that suffering as intercession to the Lord for your husband, that is very powerful prayer. And you can trust that that powerful prayer will be heard by the Lord. I'm not saying you have some guarantee that your husband will be converted in this life, but St. Paul does talk about the prayer of the believing spouse sanctifying the unbelieving spouse. And you, you can trust in that, that there will be special graces for your husband, uh, graces of conversion as you offer your sufferings for him. Wendy, what are your thoughts? Pip, I'm so struck by just the the words you said, this is a great source of pain for me. And I want you to know that to the extent that I can imagine being in that situation, I absolutely would be in that kind of pain that you're talking about. And um, I know that the Lord loves you so much in that place of your suffering and is inviting you to continually open that up to him. It is not a thing that will be quickly healed by some simple method. It is a thing that is mourned with your heart open to the Lord in prayer over many, many opportunities. And so I just, I want to bless you on that journey of deepening your trust in the Lord. I think in these times we come to recognize how much we need him, how much we need him when something is causing us great pain. So I'm certainly lifting you up in that um, and praying that he, as he consoles you, will also uh, allow your offering of that pain to be a source of healing for your husband, who is also in pain and trying to somehow take control um, and maybe to avoid some pain that he found very difficult in his life. We know that that is probably not going to work for him. And so we can just be lifting him up as well, that, that he would draw closer to the Lord and open up his pain to him as well. There's nothing more fruitful in our lives than to have that close relationship with the Lord where we can be honest about what we're really going through. I'm reminded, Wendy, as you're talking of a a couple who had a similar situation, but in the reverse. It's a couple I met some years ago, and she got her tubes tied against his will. And he came to me very troubled in conscious, conscience. Can I really sincerely make love to her when she's done this 
against my will. And I said, she may not be making love to you sincerely. And in fact, she isn't because she's X'd out her fertility intentionally and against your will. But you can genuinely make love to her. And I, I said, I want you to imagine, you know, the biology is that there's something like 500 million sperm in every act of intercourse. And I said, I want you to imagine that you are giving your wife's tied tubes 500 million kisses mm -hmm. every time you make love to her because there's a wound there in her very body and also her soul but you can kiss her you can kiss her in that wound and those kisses can bring about a healing and i don't mean in the physical sense that she would miraculously be able to conceive i mean healing the wound of the sin and i want to put that in the reverse to you pip that your love of your husband, which is genuine and real, can still be offered to him in, in your union, even though he is withholding his fertility, has with the surgical sterilization, and that your openness to him, even though he's not fully giving himself to you there, that full openness to him and that full gift of yourself to him can kiss him. You can kiss him in that place where the wound is, and that's something holy and redeeming. I just hold that out to you. I invite you, invite you to pray into that and see if the Holy Spirit might be leading you to even every time you come together with your husband to offer some internal prayer of your heart for his healing. Mm. Our next question then is from a listener named Emily. Hello, Emily. Christopher and Wendy, thank you for your yes to the Lord's call in your life as a married couple. You've greatly blessed me in this podcast. Christopher's books and finally being able to meet Christopher in Nashville. Thank you for making me feel seen and loved for who I am. I remember you, Emily, in Nashville. <laughs> Hi, Emily in Nashville. I remember you, Emily, because you may even recall I said this to you, that my sister's name is Emily, and em the name Emily always has a very special place in my heart. So, hi, Emily from Nashville. For my question, I'm discerning marriage as a single woman and have taken the approach of trying to do much of the healing work that will be required of the sacrament beforehand. I realize that this comes from my personal struggle with control and perfectionism, but I do believe there's still goodness and truth at the core of my intention. I'm having trouble sorting the wheat from the weeds here. Any insights on this matter? Also, what would you recommend as marriage prep for a single woman? Ah, oh, I love this question. There's something about the way you asked it, Emily. I, I hear your heart, and I've struggled, still struggle, with perfectionism in my life, so I, I know what you're getting at there. And I'm reminded of what I said to a couple just, just a week ago. I was in Mexico, and I was signing books after a seminar, and a couple came up, they'd been dating for a number of years, and I could tell like they were really committed to each other, and they really wanted to to be married, and And I was wondering, hmm, what, what's holding them back? So um, I talked to them a little bit about that, and it turns out that they kind of had this perfectionism in their hearts and in their way of living that they thought they still had a lot that they needed to sort out before they got married. 
And that may well be true that they have some things to sort out before they got married. But I could also sense uh, that perfectionism was at work. And my advice to them was this, and I'll, uh, I'll share similar advice with you, Emily, even though I know you're not dating someone right now, but I think that the, the same truth applies. Something to really take to heart. Marriage is not the vacation you take when you reach perfection. It's the vocation you enter to arrive at perfection, right? And that becomes a lifelong journey. I, I think, yes, yes, you are right. There are things that should be addressed before you get married. But there are things that will only be able to be addressed once you're married. And furthermore, the grace of the sacrament itself will enable you to address those things. What we really strongly need to avoid is the notion that it's even possible to get all my junk out on the table and reach some state where I can enter married life and we're not going to have any problems. Doesn't exist, not reality, not going to happen. It's an illusion. The very grace of the sacrament at work is that of purification. And married life, by its very nature, sharing a bed with someone, sharing a bathroom day in and day out, sharing a home, making a home, raising children, making love, all of that, all that marriage entails is by its very design from God intended to make visible what is invisible the spiritual and the divine. Here I'm quoting JP2's thesis statement from the TOB. And part of what is spiritual in us is not just the good spiritual stuff, but the bad, the ugly, the wounded, the broken. One of the main roles of married life, the very sacrament of marriage, is to make the junk come out into the open so that we can face it through the grace of the sacrament and grow and heal and learn what it means to love. So I want, I want to invite you, Emily, to let go of this notion that you can, if with diligent work and, and proper counseling and proper spiritual reading, and that you can get to a place where you're not going to have problems in married life. Doesn't exist. That said, yes, there are things we should be looking at in advance. Uh, and if you're looking for an example from me, I'm just trying to find a, a really clear one. I would never recommend that anyone who is ad addicted to pornography would get married. This is something you should work at, work at in advance, right? To be free from that addiction. Because if you, are, if you are addicted to porn, you are not able to be a sincere gift to a spouse, right? There's this illusion that people have that once I get married, I won't need to look at porn anymore. Well, if you were addicted before marriage, you're going to be addicted in marriage unless there is a major conversion and healing that takes place before you get married. So that's just one example I'm saying, yes, there are examples, there are situations, there are instances, there are wounds, there are issues in our lives that we should address before we get married. Just be aware of any mentality that would lead you to think, I can work out all my stuff before I get married and then we'll have a problem-free marriage. Um, 
and in all that, I kind of lost sight of what she was asking. <laughs> what was she asking? Oh, there was one other thing about... Yeah, if you have any recommendations right. for her as a single woman to be preparing. Yes, to be preparing. Uh, Emily, yes. I'm sorry to sound like a broken record, but hey, uh, I'm the T.O.B. guy, so this is what you might expect from me. Immerse yourself, dear Emily. Immerse yourself in John Paul II's vision of what it means to be human. Immerse yourself in his theology of the body. If you haven't already read read Theology of the Body for Beginners, read it. If you have, go to Theology of the Body Explained. If you've read that, go to Good News About Sex and Marriage. If you've read that, go to Heaven's Song. If you've read that, go to Fill These Hearts. If you've read that, go to The Love That Satisfies. If you've read that, go to... What else have I written? Um, <laughs> uh, at the Heart of the Gospel. At the Heart of the Gospel. <laughs> if you've read that, go to The Word Made Flesh, the three-part series on the Sunday readings at Mass, where we go to Mass with T.O.B. glasses on and the readings pop open. Um, and here's actually, as I think of the various books I've written, one that stands out that I do think would be great kind of marriage preparation for you would be a book I wrote called Love is Patient, But I'm Not. Uh, and then the subtitle is Confessions of a Recovering Perfectionist. Since you've already confessed that you yourself are a recovering perfectionist, that's the book I'd really recommend. Spend some time with that one. Spend some time in adoration with that one. That's not so much a theology book. Most of my books are kind of theology books. This is more just a kind of personal reflection about my own experience being married to Wendy my own desperate need for God's mercy, how my marriage has made visible my invisible crapola, and, and how it's led... <laughs> Wendy's laughing at me. It's true. Our marriage has made visible my invisible crapola and, and shown me my desperate need for God's mercy. And I just tell stories in that book. I go through St. Paul's hymn to love, love is patient, love is kind, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. I just go line by line, and I use it as an examination of conscience, and I tell stories about myself. I tell, I just put out there in the open my own brokenness, not all of it, because not all of it's for public consumption. But yeah, I put out a lot of my brokenness, and I just tell the stories of how God's mercy has intervened in my life. And I, I think you'll find that in a particular way, Emily, helpful for you in your own journey as a fellow recovering perfectionist. Emily, I agree with what Christopher was sharing with you. I think he has a special ability to to help with this very question of sorting the wheat from the weeds in terms of what does it mean to kind of prepare for marriage as a single person, to seek to grow in holiness. The, the weeds is believing that by doing this, you will um, not have new issues present themselves within marriage. That would be a faulty way of looking at it. But the wheat is certainly that um, the Lord is calling married people to be a gift to one another and to be a more whole gift is a beautiful thing. And that growing in holiness, also growing in wholeness in our ability to um, really be open to grace in our lives, to be tuned in to the true bridegroom, Jesus, who loves us 
perfectly and to see how he loves imperfect people and allow him to teach us to love the imperfect people in our lives, including ourselves when we look in the mirror, <laughs> um, is is beautiful and appropriate and right to do at all stages of life. And when we accept, Lord, the gift of whatever season of life we're in, if we're in a season of singlehood, to recognize that as a gift, that we want to live it for Him and not miss out on the graces of that season of life by wishing we were in the next season, um, then then He's going to be growing us in holiness in that stage of life. And um, so I think that is the, the wheat, the good desire. And that does include healing work because we all need healing so i think that you're you're right to see that as a good desire and uh, at the core of it um the truth and goodness at the core of that desire is the the desire to receive this season of life as a gift to be open to the graces of the season the graces of growing closer to the lord and understanding his deep love for you and for other people and learning to be a channel of that. And I'll hold out to you, Emily, one more thing. Uh, check out the Discerning Marriage uh, show on our YouTube channel hosted by Elizabeth Busby. She's on our staff here at the Theology of the Body Institute, and she she's dedicated herself specifically to, to helping people do that kind of pre- marriage prep, you know, helping people really to discern uh, in advance about the calling to marriage. So check it out. I think you'll find that a helpful resource. And of course, I, I was self-conscious there when I was listing all of the books that I've written. <laughs> I am not the only person in the world who's writing books about theology of the body. So I'd urge you to tap into what other people are doing. And, and, you know, I have a male perspective. Go to some of the women out there who are writing about theology of the body. Go to the work of Katrina Zeno. Uh, go to the work of Monica Ashour. Go to the work of Anastasia Northrup. Go to the work of Jen Messing and Jen Settle. Uh, these are some beautiful women who are doing some wonderful work from a woman's perspective, getting theology of the body out there. So check out their work as well. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into this episode. I hope you're blessed by it. Share it if you know somebody who needs to hear what you heard in this episode. And remember, as always, you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, and unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.